Welcome to the Park Road Talk Back Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean, about his recent book, Finding a New Way Home, The Unlikely Path of a Reluctant Baptist Renegade. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today Russ and I will be talking about Chapter 8 of his book entitled, A New Religion, Everything That's True About Christianity is a Myth. Hello, Russ. How are you today? Bruce, I'm doing well. Thanks for all of these. I've enjoyed all of our conversation. Looking forward to today again. Yeah, it's kind of bittersweet. There's just one more chapter yeah, after yeah. this. I, I've had such a good time. I'll have to write another book, I guess. <laughs> That's right. You're going to have to get busy. Yeah. We only got a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. All right. So we continue to work our way through your book. We're going chapter by chapter. And as I said, we're in chapter eight. And uh, that's an extremely provocative title when you say uh, everything that's true about Christianity is a myth. So can you give us a little bit of a background about uh, the uh, the origin and the inspiration for this particular chapter of your book? Um, sure. It, it, it is a provocative title, and it came from a provocative person. Um, Charlie Milford was the first pastor of Park Road Baptist Church. The church had been uh, founded for about a year when he became the pastor. Charlie was here for 30, almost 33 years. Um, and uh, he was alive for the first five years that Amy and I were the pastors here. He had been away, lived at the mountains, and mostly had been away from this church for a good many years. Um, and uh, he he came back, and Amy and I saw it as kind of one of our pastoral gifts to him, and in a way to the church to let Charlie have some room to come back and be part of this church. And so he was he was here and active for five years before he died. We got to know him very well. We went head to head with him, um, sparred with him, got to know what people loved and hated about Charlie Milford. And he was that kind of, he, he, I've described Charlie as one of the strongest personalities that I've ever known. Um, and, uh, you know, there was only one way to think about everything and it was Charlie's way. There was only one way to do everything. And yet there was also a kind of, um, in a way, he was kind of a lovable curmudgeon. You know, he would he would just be as critical of you as he could be, and then he would say, "Now I love you, and I'll see you next time, or whatever." You know, so um, there was a really interesting, very strong uh, nature to his personality. Um, and this this comment, uh, everything that's true about Christianity is a myth, is one that Charlie made um, in a conversation, some dialogue we were having one day, and it it took me a while to understand that and to kind of wrestle with that. Uh, yet I, I would say I have come to um, affirm that in the way that I think Charlie understood that. So you, you described it as Charlie's way. What, what does that mean exactly? What was, what was his way? Well, Charlie, Charlie had a way about everything. I mean, church members here who were here when Charlie was here would say there was a way to put things on the bulletin board and you had to use the right thumbtacks and you had to put them in the right place and the right way. There was a way to do everything. And um, Charlie Milford came to this church as a Southern Baptist pastor. He understood himself as an evangelist. I've heard him say many times he came to save souls like firebrands from the burning. I mean, he believed in saving souls from hell. That was what he understood as his role. And uh, he underwent a pretty dramatic conversion experience by getting to know Carlisle Marnie, who was the 
iconoclastic pastor of, of, of Myers Park Baptist Church. And in the relationship that Charlie developed with Carlisle Marnie, um, he slowly uh, uh, changed and it was a liberating kind of experience for him. Um, and he led this church from being uh, an evangelical church of a very, you know, typically conservative Southern Baptist church in the 1950s kind of way um, to welcoming gay people. And he had marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And he was talking about, you know, uh, equality of the races. And, you know, that wasn't popular in the 60s when he was talking about that. And uh, welcoming gay people to the church wasn't popular when he was talking about that in the late 70s. So um, Charlie knew what he believed and he would he, he wasn't backing down uh, about that with anyone. And so Charlie's way um, kind of cut across all aspects of, of, of life. And in, in this chapter, you, you discussed the fact that they had something called Humility Club, and they would get together and, and have some very frank uh, and very, uh, for pastors anyway, unusual conversations. What, what do you know about those meetings? Yeah, it, it, it was it was uh, ironically named. If there was anything humble about either Carlisle Marty or Charlie Milford, I don't know what it was. Um, and they, <laughs> they named that uh, club, the Humility Club, uh, with a purposely tongue-in-cheek. And it was a chance for them to get together. And I don't know how large that group was, but we heard Charlie talk about the Humility Club a lot, you know, right after we moved here. And uh, he had kind of moved back. And so he wanted to sort of resurrect the Humility Club. And so Charlie started calling together a few pastors and uh, Emil Milik was the retired pastor of Wedgwood Baptist and Charlie came and Alan Lehman, another former pastor at this church came sometime and there were some friends from, from Myers Park. And um, so we had a, a group of five or six, Gene Owens, who was one of the pastors one of the former pastors at uh, Myers Park Baptist was retired. He was in town. Gene was a part of that group. It was uh, it, it was uh, kind of a rude awakening into a, a new kind of life, a uh, new kind of pastoral life. And, you know, we'd get together and they'd just talk about anything and everything and the most craziest, uh, you know, ideas that they had heard. And, you know, sometimes we'd read something and we'd discuss it and, um it, it, as I say, Amy and I had been in Amy and I had been in progressive churches. We had kind of been moving in a progressive direction, um, but this kind of took that to a whole new level. And uh, so we met on a weekly basis. As I look back on it, it was a pretty daunting kind of thing, um, but it was it was kind of rough and tumble, you know, and and uh, no holds barred and and uh, nothing nothing off limits to talk about. Um, so I, I learned a lot in those years. I don't, I don't, didn't agree with everything that was said there, but uh, learned a lot from talking with those guys. And we can thank Charlie for the the title of this this chapter: "Everything That's True About Christianity Is a Myth." So, can you interpret that for us? What does that mean to you? Yeah, and I say in in the chapter that uh, when I first heard Charlie uh, speak this, even though I, you know, I was this is the eighth chapter. I was pretty far down this journey that I've been charting in the book. I was pretty far down the way, but that that statement, "Everything Is True About Christianity Is a Myth," I heard that like. 
Um, a lot of other people hear it. When they hear the word myth, they think that means fairy tale or false or something like that. Um, it's all made up. It, it, it's not true. Um, that's not what Charlie meant, but it took me a while to understand that and um, to understand that myth is a, a way of talking about something that is truer than fact, that is beyond fact, um, that is a uh, greater than just the facts. And so Charlie would say everything that's true about Christianity um, is not dependent on it being historically accurate, uh, historically true. And of course, many scholars have talked about this. This isn't something new with Charlie, um, but he was willing to say it in a, in a pretty bold way. Um, in the chapter, I quote Thomas More, who says, a myth is a sacred story describing in fictional form the fundamental truths of nature and human life. Mythology gives body to the invisible and eternal factors that are always part of life but don't appear in a literal, factual story. And so that's what Charlie meant by myth, sacred story. And, and Christianity is a sacred story. And everything that's true about, uh, every, everything about Christianity, I would say, is true. But it's true in the way that myths are true. They're beyond beyond fact. Right. You say that actually nothing in the Bible or nothing about Christianity can, in point of fact, be proven. Not God, not the divinity of Jesus, not the miracles of the Bible, not the consequences of sin or salvation. That's, that's a powerful statement because I would think for so many people, those things are incontrovertible facts. They know those to be true in their bones. So when you when you write the things that you're writing in this chapter, are you in any way undermining people's faith, or do you think you're just recasting yeah, yeah, it? Somehow? I, I don't intend to undermine people's faith. No, nothing in this book intends to undermine people's faith. This is this is my story of faith, and I'm still in faith. Um, so so I don't intend to undermine people's faith. And I know that that statement you just made may sound controversial, but I, I would like to challenge anybody. Anybody who believes in God, prove God to me as a fact. Anybody who believes in the divinity of Jesus, prove that to me as a fact. You, you cannot prove sin, salvation, grace, forgiveness. You cannot prove. And who would want to, Bruce? That's my point. Who would want to be able to prove? Mm -hmm. Who needs a God who can be proven as fact? And I think that puts God in, in such a lesser category uh, then I understand God to be. If God could be proven, that would that's just some some aspect of nature, some just some aspect of the world. That's uh, God is beyond all of that. And so I, I don't want I don't want my faith to be something that is provable. And in fact, that's clearly not what Scripture says. Um, faith is faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'm just saying what the Bible says. These things cannot be proven. That's why they are faith. Well, help me with that. So, you know, for me, if 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 I could prove, if you, you said, okay, Bruce, you have the option to prove God. I mean, I would be sorely tempted to go ahead and, you know, pull that lever and, and, and have it proven to me. Um, but you are saying just the opposite. You, no, you don't want that. A proven God is less than the God that is just a. a well, how do we? How do you prove things? I mean, you, you have to. They have to be somehow 
testable, you know, empirically testable, verifiable, you know, um, that, uh, and, and I just think that puts God in a, in a category that is below what I think God is. Um, God is spirit. You can't see a spirit. You can't measure spirit. You can't test spirit. You, you can get people to affirm that, yeah, I have had that experience. I, too, have had that experience. You can get people to affirm that. Um, but there, there's, uh, in my understanding of the way you prove facts, um, there's no way to, to prove that. And I think that um, that's the whole nature of faith. Um, I, I just quoted for you the, a, a, a verse from Hebrews. You know, faith is right. the assurance of things right. hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is, that is precisely what faith is. And so, if we could prove the things that we believe, we would need to have faith in it. We would need we would need to have any hope in God. Um, it would it would just totally change the nature of what of what faith is. Right. You actually take that that train of thought one step further in this chapter also. It's not just a matter of whether or not we can prove the stories or the content of the Bible or Christianity. It's also that uh, there's a great quote from Tom Robbins that says, just because it didn't happen doesn't mean it isn't true. Uh, You are making the point that every story in Scripture is more than facts, it's a message or a truth. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and I, I, I think that um, I, I say that everything in, in Scripture is true. Some of it is less than fact. Uh, um, some of the stories may not actually be based in historical fact, um, but all of the stories of Scripture are more than fact. Um, even if you believe them to be, you know, you be, I believe Jesus was a real person who lived in the first century in, in Israel, and I believe he actually died at the hands of the Romans. I, you know, I believe those are um, historical uh, um, and can be attested in non-biblical sources. So those, I, I mean, I think Jesus was a fact, but his story what we learn from him, what he is trying to teach us, and what Scripture is trying to tell us about Jesus is always more than fact. And so the Gospels don't always show—the Gospel of John says Jesus' ministry was three years. The the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say the Gospel that Jesus' ministry was one year. The Those facts— don't line up. It can't be both one year and three years. So, so in terms of fact, something is wrong there. But there's no problem with that because the gospel writers were not trying to convey fact. They were telling the story of Jesus, a theological story of who he was and how he changed people's lives. Um, I don't need to harmonize the facts of the Gospels, and you know, prove that well, there aren't any historical discrepancies. And a lot of people have a lot of people have gone a long way to do just that to try to harmonize the Gospels to make sure there aren't any discrepancies. Because Bruce, they say it's all about fact. It's it, it's all true, and it's got to be true. And if any part of it weren't factually true, then the whole thing would collapse. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's I just think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. The the story of Jesus, the theological truth of 
of what he does, of how he represents God, of what of what he teaches us of God is true. And that has nothing to do with how many times he went to Jerusalem right. to the Passover, you know, where he was born, you know, any of that stuff. Right. And and, and I love the line in the chapter where you, you mentioned, I never heard this before, the greatest truths are conveyed in fiction. And uh, you point to Greek and Roman myths and Aesop's fables and fairy tales and even Harry Potter. But that is that is very true for me, uh, that, that fiction has the power in many ways to convey even greater truth than fact. A- absolutely. And, and I, I think it is I think it's an incontrovertible fact <laughs> that that when people have tried to talk about truth, People in every age and in every culture, they have talked of, in terms of fiction. They've told stories. They've told fables. Um, uh, Jesus told parables. Um, and, and you, you know, all of that Greek mythology that I studied in high school that I didn't understand why we were studying it, these were the myths of that culture, and they were trying to teach the people truth and Sisyphus and whoever those people were that we studied, those weren't real people. Nobody thought they were real people. That's not why we were learning about them. You know, when Jesus tells the parable of the farmer sowing the seed, that's not a real person. But there's nothing lost in the truth of the story because Jesus made up a story about a a, a poet. I mean, excuse me, a a farmer sowing seed. Um, So I, I... at the end of the chapter, Bruce, I quote this, uh, and I know this would be controversial for a lot of folks, but the, uh, the American poet Wallace Stevens once said, the final belief is to believe in a fiction which you know to be a fiction, there being nothing else. The exquisite truth is to know that it is a fiction and that you believe in it willingly. And so I, I say, I know that the word fiction will rub people wrong. It's like, right. well, somebody made up this stuff in the Bible. No, I'm trying to rely on that. As I've just talked about the power of fiction, the power of story to tell truth. And so, you know, if if there are only two categories for me to evaluate my faith, is faith fact or is faith fiction? Is it a story bigger than fact? I, I'll have to say I'd rather to characterize faith as fiction. It's a story that's bigger than bigger than fact. Well, Russ, this is uh, uh, just a fascinating subject and chapter and something that I'll, I'll probably go back and read again. Uh, there's so much there to learn, and we appreciate your time and talking with us today. Well, thanks always for asking the questions, Bruce. I, I, I do enjoy this, and I hope folks are listening out there and enjoying, and if they have any questions, you know, folks can always call me or email me or send me a text or whatever. I, I, I'm in, I enjoy having the conversation with anybody, so thank you. If you would like to learn more about obtaining a copy of Russ's book, Finding a New Way Home, you can find that information at the Park Road website parkroadbaptist.org under the resources tab. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you.